Hello, everyone, and welcome to Police Off the Cuff, Real Crime Stories. I'm your host, Bill Cannon. I'm a retired 27-year veteran of the NYPD. I retired as a sergeant at a Manhattan North Homicide Squad. If you like real crime stories from a police perspective, please go on YouTube, hit the subscribe button, give us a thumbs up, and ring that bell. I'm so excited about this show tonight. It's unbelievable. We, we sort of stacked the deck. We got three flatfoot. Three flatfoots, I should say, right? Is that what they used to say, flatfoots? Three coppers <laughs> and, and, and one made guy, one former made guy. To my, to my right is straight out of Brooklyn, retired NYPD detective Phil Grimaldi. How you doing tonight, Phil? Pretty good, Bill, and excited to uh, hear what's going to happen tonight. I think uh, we're going to have a good show. I do, too. And uh, beneath Phil Grimaldi is uh, detective, retired detective, first grade Tommy Dades, who happens to be an organized crime expert, retired out of the 6-8 squad intelligence division, and then spent five years in the Brooklyn DA's office chasing the mafia cops, who he he is credited with, uh, with putting away. And of course, the guest of honor tonight, the great Sammy the Bull Gravano. Welcome, Sam. It's my pleasure, bro. And uh, I got a hit team right outside of this, uh, just in case this show goes a little haywire. So just remember that. <laughs> just remember we're all strapped too, Sammy. All right, all right, all right. And we go to the range twice a year. Yeah, uh, that's true. <laughs> you know, Sammy, one of the things, and I, we're going to get right into it, is most people what they want to hear told is they want to hear you. you kept – the, the life and you, you valued the life and you always sort of kept that thing Cosa Nostra. That's Cosa Nostra. You know, that's our thing. And you always kept that close to your heart. Yet people want to know what made you then cooperate. Wow. That's, that's a hell of a story. It's on my podcast. You know, all my life, as you guys know, I've been busted all my life. I've been asked to cooperate a hundred times. I never did. When I went to prison with John Gotti in 1990, um, he really didn't want to go to prison. And uh, it was the worst 11 months I've did out of the 22 years I've been in prison. And he was really horrible to do time with. You know, Jerry Capisi a little while ago called me up and he said, I did an interview with F. Lee Bailey just the other day. Now, I didn't get along too much with F. Lee Bailey, and uh, I don't think he liked me too much either, but this is what the guy said in his interview. He said, when the lawyers were restricted, who could represent us, who can't, we called him in. He's a good lawyer. There's no question about it. And uh, he said to John, he said, John, you're admitting these things and talking about Sammy and Frankie on the tapes. You can't beat this case. What I suggest is that you take a play. John looked at him and said, I got an ace in the hole. I'm going to throw Sammy and Frankie Lacasio under the bus. I'm going to throw the weight on them and I'm going to beat the case. F. Lee Bailey said, when John told him that, he left the room and never came back. He didn't want any part of doing that. He didn't want any part of the case, and he left. At first, I thought he was joking. 
So I didn't get too upset, even though we weren't getting along while we were in prison. After 11 months, he he told me, he said, Sammy, I got a way where I could beat the case. Not we, he could beat the case. He says, I'm going to control all the lawyers. And I'm going to back up the tapes. I'm talking about you on tape. The lawyers are going to say, you hear John Gotti complaining about Sam. He's killing everybody. He's taking over businesses. He's taking over the unions, which was all bullshit. So the people are going to listen. The juries are going to listen. They're going to listen to the tapes. They're going to listen to what the lawyers say. Poor John Gotti. You hear him on the tape. He lost control of this animal. So they're going to convict you, and I'm going to go free. I told him, is is that what you want? He said, the streets needs the boss, and I'm the boss. It has to be that way. You have to take the weight. Now, I completely understand agents and cops want to put bad guys away. That's your job. I understand that. I don't have any hard feelings towards you guys at all, agents or anybody else. That's your job. But our job is to survive the case. We're together. We're brothers. Whoever could beat the case, God bless him. That wasn't John's attitude. John's attitude was he would beat the case no matter what. So I had turned around when he said he, that's what he was going to do. And I asked him, is that what you really want to do? And he said, yes. I turned away, no argument. In my mind, I said, fuck the mafia, fuck him. I'm going to the other side. And I flipped. And that's exactly what I did. Later on, it showed that everything he said on those tapes, I never had a partner or killed a partner and took over a business. I never killed anybody to take over a union. Later on, it came out was that was a plot. He was trying to plot to kill me. And he needed a reason. You just can't kill your underboss who's extremely loyal to you, a big money maker for the family. If you do that, you scare everybody. Because people will turn around and say, if he could kill him, we're all in trouble. We better, This guy had to lose his mind. So he was plotting this fake bullshit, trying to spread it around that I was doing these things. Eventually, when he would have killed me, he would have said, listen, you know what he did? He lost his mind. The guy was killing everybody. He was doing all these things. And this was his little plot. So, again, I don't mind the FBI and the cops trying to put me away and do their job. They got to protect the public. That's their job. Me, I don't have to do that to my co-defendant. To me, that's ratting in a different way. It's no different than taking the stand. If you're going to put your partner away, there's no different. I think you guys all as cops would understand that. Most people will. I Sammy, mean, can, I, can I just ask you one quick question while you're sure. on this? It, had you said, 
all right, I'm going to take the hit. You're talking, you're talking a hit of about 30 to 50 years, right? Life. No, life, life without parole. Okay, life without parole. This was like a RICO thing, right? Yes. Yeah. I, I was charged with, I think, four murders, conspiracy to murders, every other thing, racketeering. It was life without parole. So and then that, my wife and kids would have had to listen to this and say, he didn't even fight back. He just sat there like a potted plant. Right. Maybe he is a fucking animal. Sammy, uh, Jimmy Calandra from a Beth Avenue story is in the chat. He wants to uh, say hello to you. <laughs> okay, my pleasure. Jimmy's a good guy. He's a good friend of mine. I had him out uh, where I live, and he was on a show with me, and uh, he's a great guy. Jimmy has his own podcast as well, and uh, I understand that he spent some time with you recently, uh, Sam? Yeah, he did. You get you get along well with uh, Jimmy? Consider him I, a good friend? Yes. I, I got. I didn't know him years and years ago. He was a lot younger than me. Right. Um, the Bath Avenue boys, were, they were tough, and they were up and coming just – a little bit before I went to prison, but I knew of their reputation. I knew they were good guys. I met Jimmy and heard of him more later on. I had him at over. He was going to stay in a hotel. I said, listen, don't even stay in a hotel. Stay in the house with me. I'm divorced. I'm living alone. So he came and lived with me with my dog, Lily. And uh, we had a great time. We went on, I did a show with him. I wanted to help him with his show. Um, he talks very well on his show. I like things he talks about. Um, and, uh, yeah, I consider him a good friend. He, he's going to be on our show uh, on this police off the cuff, real crime stories on, uh, September 26th. So we hope you tune in. And, and if you, uh, mention it on your podcast, we'd appreciate it. I definitely will. And I watch him. I watch a lot of his shows when they come out. I watch the show where him and, uh, Tommy uh, Day uh, talked, and he did a little bit of an interview with uh, Tommy. I thought the show was great. You know, you know Sammy, I, th I think one of the things about becoming a successful podcaster is being a good uh, storyteller, and you're you're excellent at it. And oh, uh, so, is, so is Jimmy Calandra. He's great storytellers because you guys tell it like, you know, I always say that the best podcasts are where you're just having a conversation. And it doesn't yeah. seem contrived and you're not digging questions out of the, out of the trees. You know, it's just like we're having a conversation like we are now. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I, I thought the interview he did with Tommy is very good. Um, Tommy's a great guy. He was always a good guy. He grew up. In did he pay you to say that, Sammy? Did he pay you to yeah, say that? <laughs> enough. So I'm not going to do a whole thing about him. <laughs> But uh, I got to break his chops a little. Yeah, more. yeah, I understand. I break his chops all the time, too. He breaks yeah. mine plenty. Don't worry. Yeah, yeah. He's, he's a good friend. Nice, good people. Well. I love the guy. You know, he grew up in the neighborhood. He was a tough guy. Some of us uh, became gangsters. Some of us became cops. And, uh, you know, he was not on the take ever, but he was a good guy. who would come around, always try to help you, help your family. And uh, nothing, nothing more than that. I mean, I wish you know, he was Undertake. I could have did a lot of things if he was Undertake. You, you know, Sammy, uh, thank you for thank you for buying this police off the cuff uh, t shirt there. I know you told me you were going to wear it to your next sit down. You know, right? 
great. I like that. We, 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 we had our producer make that special for you, you know? All right, all right. <laughs> Sammy, I wanted to ask you, too, as long as we're on the subject, what was your relationship with John Gotti like before the shit hit the fan? What was it like on a day-to-day basis doing business? He's the boss. You're the underboss. What was it like to work for him? Listen, I love the guy. We were attached at the hip. I did everything under the sun for him. When I cooperated, there was every, almost every one of his trials. I was in the background rigging the trial, paying people, threatening people. I, I did everything under the sun. Killed for him. He was in trouble with Castellano, him and Angelo Ruggiero and their tapes. Um, when they came to us, me, Frankie Chico, for help, we talked about it for quite a while. I talk about it on my podcast, and uh, we decided to save them by taking Paul out. That wasn't the only reason. Paul did a lot of fucked up things towards the end. I liked him immensely as well in the beginning, but he did a lot, a lot of bad things towards the end, got very greedy and um, doing all kinds of weird shit. So between doing bad things and screwed up things for the family, this thing happened with John and Angelo. They were finished. So we decided to save them, get rid of Paul, and try to change Rosanostra back to what it was. It didn't work out. Frankie Chico was blown up and killed four months later. And uh, John just completely, I don't know, he lost control of himself little at a time. He fell in love with himself, seeing himself on television. He was playing a role. We're a secret society. You know, I tell a story that one time when Carlo Gambino bought a Cadillac. He always had a shit car, but he bought a Cadillac. And everybody was going, oh, it's a beautiful car, it's a beautiful car. He went to one of his sons and told him, sell the car. Why? It's beautiful. He said, that's the reason why. Everybody looks at it. Everybody talks about it. I don't want no publicity. Get rid of the car. I mean, that's that was our life. Gangsters like that, those are people I looked up to. You know, when we were going to kill Paul, we went to Neil and told him about it. He didn't buy it. He wouldn't do it. You can't kill the boss. My guy, Tato, I didn't tell him what we were going to do because I knew he would have said the same thing. As soon as we did it, he retired. This isn't Gozenosha. Killing the boss is the end of Gozenosha. He and he stepped down. So that's real Gozenosha. Sammy, me and you talk all the time, and uh, we end up talking about other shit, except nah, we don't talk about this stuff. And just a question, I think I know the answer to it, and I think it's probably an interesting question is, if nothing ever happened to Frankie, meaning the Chico, um, I know I know that you two had a conversation together before it was decided that you were going to go that way on John's side. Um, you were right, as a matter of fact, because I know that you, um, you disagreed with you know, whatever night it was, I think it was Wednesday nights that everybody shaped up. The night. And uh, you disagreed with him having everybody come there all the time. And through Maddie and Frankie, I know that that was a lethal mistake because they identified probably 125 guys that they wouldn't have identified had they not come and John had taken your advice. 
had Frankie still been alive and John was doing that, what do you think Frankie DeChico would have done? When me and Frankie originally talked, and I'm giving to give you the answer this way, I didn't want John to be the boss. He brought all this down, him and Angelo. We were saving him. He didn't warrant being the boss. I don't think he deserved being the boss. I wanted Frankie to be the boss. Frankie says, Sam, he's got an, an ego like the Empire State Building. I could be his underboss. He can't be mine. We'd have nothing but trouble. Let's make him the boss. Me and you will be the power behind the throne. If he doesn't act the fool like he normally does, he'll be a great boss. If he acts the fool, I give you my word, we'll kill him. I'll be the boss and you'll be my under. I shook his hand. So I hope that answers the question that if Frankie would have lived, he would have been killed in two fucking minutes flat. Sammy, Anthony DeLuca says, my father said, Tato Marino, he loved him. I don't know what the reference is to. Maybe you guys know what that is. Second and fifth at Dixie Tavern. Yeah. You know, you, you yeah. know, this Anthony DeLuca is saying that uh, his father was, must have known uh, Tato Marino and he loved him. Obviously, uh, that was somebody that was close to you, Sam, Tato Marino, no? Well, no, I knew Tato Marino. My Tato was Tato Arello. Oh, that's what I'm thinking of. Okay. Yeah, Tato, uh, uh, the one they're talking about is, I think, down Fifth Avenue, downtown Brooklyn. Yeah, Tommy just and they that, had yeah. the bar. Was it, there was three Tato's. That was him. There was my Tato, Tato Arello from Bath Avenue. And there was uh, another Tato from Bay 50th. The Espinard. The Espinard, yeah. Right, right, right. Yeah. Sam, I, I want to ask you a question. I want to switch gears a little bit to go into the earlier part of your life. Now, I know from watching your podcast, you were in the Rampers and, uh, you know, you guys were basically uh, committing some petty crimes. Uh, there was no money and stuff. But when was it in your life that you knew that you were going to be a member of organized crime or at least associated with organized crime? Was there a specific point in your life? Like, did you aspire that from when you were younger or just as time went on and you got involved in things, it just happened? How'd that go, Sam? I never wanted it. We, in the ramp is, it, we, you know, we had this stupid motto, fuck the mob. It's us against the world. So we didn't want to have nothing to do with the mob. Um, later on, I, when I was 19 years old, I got drafted. I went into the army during the Vietnam war and, uh, I spent two years in. And, uh, when I came out, most of the rampers had hooked up with mafia guys and it changed around while I was gone. I still didn't hook up with anybody. And then after a while, I hooked up with Shorty Spiro and the Colombo family and uh, he told me what I wanted to hear. He said, Sammy, I'll never backstab. I'll never lie to you. Anytime I ask you to do something, I've already done it or I'll do it with you. You're going to be part of a family. That became music to my ears. If I had to be with anybody who was an ex-fighter, I shook his hand and I said, okay, I'll be in. And that's where I started, basically, in the Colombo family. And it wasn't until I was, I got out of the military when I was 21. I think I hooked up when I was about 22 or 23. I think 23. But uh, I hooked up with the Colombo family. That's where I did my first murder. I never killed anybody before that. And uh, there was a whole story with this Joe Colucci guy. And uh, 
I wound up getting the contract. I did the work. And um, a couple of years later, um, I had a problem with his brother. And uh, there's a whole story about that. I went to kill him, actually. And when they found out, they actually gave me right. And uh, But they knew we couldn't live together. The, some of the Gambino family talked for me. There was a high-level meeting, and uh, they didn't kill Ralph Spiro because he was Shorty's brother. They didn't want to kill me because they think they thought I did the right thing, and it was just I was transferred over to the Gambinos who were talking for me and for the situation. That's where I met Todd Arello. I knew his son, Charlie Boy, all my life. I knew his father was a heavyweight, but I never knew him. And then I was with him, fell in love with the guy. He was just like my father, same height, same build, good man. And it wasn't like the Colombo guys, you know, beat this guy up, break this guy's ass, shoot this guy. It was more unions, business, you know, different type of guns. Not that they couldn't kill you or wouldn't kill you, but it was different. They had a little more compassion. They weren't always into violence. One of the things Tato told me, he said, violence could always be used as a last resort in our life. Use your fucking head. Listen to things with both ears before you resort to violence. So, and he showed me a story or two that I never forgot. And uh, I, I really enjoyed it. You know, he was way older than me. So I was young still. And... Uh, he would tell me stories smoozing about his past. And he's talking about his friends, Al Capone, Lucky Luciano, Vito Genovese. I was, I was mesmerized. These names were me, were like legends. And he's talking about them like they're his best friend, you know? So I was glued to him and uh, it was great. I had a great but Sammy, Sammy, many times in your, um, in your career, you came close to being the subject of a hit for different things that you did that may have pissed people off. Um, how did you, how did you avoid that? How did you, I know the rules are the rules, but the rules are always broken also. Sometimes they're broken. You know, I, I broke rules, but not into, I listen, I never robbed anybody, beat anybody, lied to anybody, bullshitted to anybody. I had a pretty good reputation. I think Tommy Day would verify that. And uh, when I broke rules, it wasn't intentionally to hurt anybody or do anything. Usually um, it was that uh, something happened and uh, people understood why I did what I did. And, you know, I look at sometimes I, I talk to a friend at night. I missed getting hit so many times. It's crazy. And a lot of times I say to myself, I'm not a very religious guy, but I say to myself, God, so many times I missed it. Is there a purpose for this? I mean, I was shot in the back of the head with a rifle. It hit the back of my head. It nipped the skin. You know, it was coming in from an angle. And when it hit my skull, it just kept going the opposite way. And that's a miracle in itself. One time I got shot in the chest came out my shoulder. It missed my heart by a quarter of an inch. I came out of prison. I got cancer three times, skin cancer, nothing major, but, and I beat it three times. So I told God, is there a purpose? <laughs> I keep missing this. I mean, 
I had an appointment with uh, Gas Pipes people and uh, Al Diaco. They were in Gajulio's restaurant in Coney Island. Five, six guys all loaded up. I'm ready to go. And I see a bunch of cars, FBI. So I think I'm going to get pinched. So I tell Big Louie and Johnny Gamarano. I had an envelope of money. I gave them the envelope. I said, listen, go to the meeting. I don't want to go there. I'll bring 100 cops with me. So give them my apology and tell them, you know, this is for this, this, and that. And uh, I'll see you at another time. There's six guys there with guns. And the only reason I didn't go is because I see all these FBI cars around me. I figure, you know, why would I take that heat over there? And I miss that. So, and, and Al Diaco and other people talk about it. So there were so many times I missed it. You know, it's, it's crazy. But I, I don't know how I missed it all them times, but I think I got lucky. I did 22 years in prisons. I The second time I got pinched, I was in Arizona. I got a 20-year sentence, 19 years with the state, with a label that I cooperated. I says, I was 55. I said, I'll never make it. I'll never make this bit. But I made that too. So who knows? I don't know. Maybe God's looking out for me. You know, I, I'm a religion. I'm not a religious guy, but I do believe in God. Anthony Santoro, uh, thank you for the 1999 Super Chat. He says, thanks again for putting us on to this interview, Jimmy Calandra. Sammy's a legend in Bensonhurst and now nationwide. Tommy and Bill, great stories always, and thanks again. Bill Ryan, a man of his word always. Thank you, Anthony Santoro. You know, Sammy, you're one of the things that I, I, I listen to your podcast a lot, and I, I mean, I love the stories. And one of the things that you said, and you, you sort of said it just here, think like, you know, here you are, you live this life, uh, you were in the life, but yet you, you still mention God. And I remember in one of the stories you mentioned how you were a gangster with a conscience and specifically was the bar owner that had $300,000 worth of, of marijuana. And you said, he asked you to hold it for him. And you yeah. said, if I was a bad gangster, I would have just put two in the back of his head and taken the $300,000 worth of weed. But I'm a gangster with a conscience. So I gave it back to him and he gave me five grand. You know what it was? Let me just get that. Real quick, I'll give you that story again. It was Patty Krikinick, and he was from Bath Avenue at a bar. He calls me up. He needs a favor. You know, here's a, a friend asking you for a favor, and he's in trouble. And I go over there, and he's got 800 pounds of pot. I, I was two, three months back in rent. I couldn't even pay the 300 a month rent. And uh, I pick it up, and I bring it home. And I figure it out. Nickel bags, little bullshit things. I could make $300,000. So I'm from dead broke to rich, two bullets away from that. And when I used to go to the bar, I knew his son as the kid. He'd sit on my lap at the bar. He was a great kid. I did think about it. I really did. I don't want to say I didn't. I did think about it. But I said, how could I live with myself after that? I, I'm not other people won't trust me. I, how could I live with myself? How could I look at myself in the fucking mirror? After a guy put his life in my hands, and what did I do? I took it. I took his life to, for fucking money. And I changed my mind. But, you know, the guy called me back a couple of days a week later, thanked me so much, gave me a kiss on the cheek, gave me $5,000. Back then it was a lot of money. I paid my rent. And uh, I thank God I didn't do that. 
Sammy, look at you and Joey T. And I knew Joey T very well. I mean, we, you know, we'd sit there. We both had lived in Vegas at the same time. And uh, Joey was a bartender at Tally's. And everybody, everybody knew it. So it wasn't like, you know, Joey was a degenerate gambler. He was just like a knock-around guy, you know, drinker, gambling. He'd bet on two cockroach yeah. you know. And he took money out of the cash register. And everybody in the bar knew it. And, of course, Sammy knew it. And Joey took off like a bat out of hell thinking Sammy was going to hurt him. And I think it was his cousin that you reached out to and told him to come back. I think his you name put, was Mikey. You put him, you put him, back, in the, you put him back in the bar and take $10 a week from him. So, you know, it's not only the money in the register. They bet sports. He took that money. He took a couple of things, but he took a bundle of money and uh, gambled and, and did everything and then took off. He got scared. A couple of my guys said, "What are you? We're gonna take him out? No, for robbing a few dollars. You fucking, he's broke. He he's was, you know. I, and then I called his cousin Mikey, and he says, ah, I don't know where he is. Listen, you know where the fuck he is. Get him on the fucking phone. He got him on the phone. I said, Get the fuck back here. Tell me who you owe money, and I'll work this out. I put him back to work, and I said, You owe me this money, and uh, every week you give me a few dollars. There's no interest. There's no nothing." I kept, I called everybody in who he owed money to. And I called them in, street guys, and I said, you're even. He owes you nothing. I'm straightening out his debt. And your debt is paid. You you know the guys around me. You know he's gambling. Why would you give him this money and barrel him up? Now you're not getting paid. And if you take a bet from him, don't any, hurt him or don't even bother getting the money. You're not, you ain't getting it. So, and he went to work and I, I never heard him. You, you know, I listen, I heard people, I killed people, but I grew up, I'm a different kind of gangster. My mother and father, I never had street people in my family directly. My mother and father were hardworking people and my mother was a seamstress. My father was a painter, the most honest people you ever want to meet in your life. That was instilled in me as well as being a gangster. So I say I'm a different kind of fucking gangster. I do have a heart. I do have compassion. But I was very good at what I did. And when you broke the rules and I had to do what I had to do, I did it. You know, there's a lot of cops, I would assume, that don't want to pull a trigger. And they do if in a, in a certain situation. But they're not trigger happy. You know, listen, there's some bad cops. There's some bad gangsters. There's some bad everything. There's bad apples in everything. But most cops are good people. They don't want to do so many things that happen. And it kills them, I'm sure, if they have to shoot somebody. It probably bothers them just as much as it bothered me. You may not believe that, but it bothered me. Everybody who died, a little piece of me died with them. Angela Eng, thank you for the $5 super chat. She says, I grew up blocks from the Ravenite upstairs from Little Charlie's. You think Carlo Gambino put... A Maluk when he changed the name of the club? That's the Maloika, uh, Bill. Yeah. Maloika. I, I don't know how to pronounce those words. <laughs> is, that, is that $5 mine? Did she say <laughs> Only if you send the team here. Only if you can find me. <laughs> Let's take, guys, we can take, uh, Phil, we'll take a quick break. You guys, if you have to use the bathroom, take a drink. We'll just do have a quick uh, commercial here, and then we'll, we'll be right back. Phil, you can read the first one. 
Well, this is fitting tonight because some of the listeners might need an attorney. So we have Joe Murray, <laughs> attorney at law. Have you found yourself in a jam? Are you in need of legal counsel in the New York area? Do you need a victim's advocate? Well, Joe Murray is your man. He's not only an experienced trial attorney, he's also a retired 15-year member of the NYPD. He knows both sides of the fence, literally. His website is jmurray-law.com, jmurray-law.com. His telephone number is 646-838-1702. Some of the listeners, write it down, 646-838-1702. <laughs> or you can reach Joe by email at joe at jmurray-law.com, joe at jmurray law.com get well soon joe folks police coffee is an officer-owned business dedicated to crafting the finest coffees and blends uh it's there to provide you with the freshest coffee available each batch is roasted fresh by people who know what it means to stay vigilant and our specialty coffees do not waste one drop when flavor is concerned our coffee is some of the best you'll find but also helps serve an important cause giving back to our community 50% of our profits go towards helping family members of police officers who fell in the line of duty. To order coffee and related products from policecoffee.com, go to the website. There are over seven types of coffee to choose from, and 50% of the profits go to officers' families in need. For a 10% discount, use code OTC10. That's off the cuff 10. We're back. We're back. Sammy, these are, I, you know, one of the things I just want to say while, uh, I, you're here also is thank you so much for coming on the show. And I know you're great friends with Tommy Dades. This is a, a, a great thing. You're a fantastic guest. I, I love your stories and obviously sort of the people listening to this. Well, listen, it's my pleasure. And yes, I am a good friend of Tommy, but all these names, Grimaldi and, and, and you, these guys, those names are very familiar to me. These are good guys as well. Thank you, Sammy. Thank you, Sam. Thank you. You, you know, I wanted to uh, just ask you a question, Sam. Now, I know you've probably been to a lot of sit-downs in your day. Um, to explain to people that might be watching don't know what a sit-down is, if there's a beef or an issue that is uh, amongst made guys or unmade guys, they, there would be a, a, a ruling body. You'd take the, the, the beef to uh, a boss or, or a captain or a made guy, whoever it may be, and you, you, you settle it. And sometimes if it's a, a heavy sit-down, it could lead to a death sentence. Of all the sit-downs you've been involved in, Sammy, is there one that stands out in your mind that might be worth talking about tonight? I've been involved in so many different sit-downs. It was incredible. I mean, uh, you know, there's one. There was uh, Sal Vitale. He was the underboss of the Bonanno family. And uh, he had a company that was being uh, unionized by the Teamsters, Bobby Sasso. Uh, and I was running that union. And he came down and talked to me. There was a strike. People were in the street. So he said, Sammy, we, we would like to stop the strike. And, uh, you know, these people are with us. So I said, well, I think you came a little late. There's a strike in the street. I don't think they could do anything. And uh, I said, let's make another appointment and let me see what I could do. The next appointment when we sat down, I said, listen, I talked to Bobby Sasso. We, I worked it out. There's two different contracts. One's a good contract for the people, 
It'll cost your friend a lot of money. And there's a shit contract that won't cost them a lot of money. Now, it'll cost you 100000 to do it. And uh, he'll have a sweetheart contract. You're shaking me down? I'm not shaking you down, bro. First of all, John and Joe Messina have a good relationship. I'm going to give Bobby Sasso and the union people some, uh, some of that 100000 Whatever's the balance, I'm, we're going to split it. And your guy's going to save a ton of money. Now, there's nothing I could do to stop all these people picketing in the street. So you have a choice with your friend. And I resent the fact that you're telling me that I'm shaking you down. You know we have this union. You know this is going on. Instead of coming to me like a fucking man, at first, maybe there wouldn't be a strike. But you try to get cute. And then when there's a problem, then you come to me. Now I'm solving your problem and you want to talk to me like uh, I'm shaking you down. Oh, Sammy, I'm sorry. I didn't mean that. I didn't know you were going to give us half. So that's that changed the whole picture for you, the money end of it, or saving your friend. What, what were you interested in? So that was one that interests me a little bit. But there was a lot of them, some of them serious, some of them not so serious. They don't always result in uh, a murder. You know, most of the times they don't. A murder, if you broke the rules, there's really not a sit down or nothing going on with it. You're just going to go. But um, they're usually about business, about unions, about arguments and fights and family disputes. And I'll tell you another silly one, but John Gotti couldn't straighten nothing out with gas pipe. They hated John. And I grew up with gas pipe a little bit. So he would tell me, strain this beef out with your fucking friend. He was so annoyed, he couldn't get it done. I go to gas pipe. I said, what's the beef? There's a fence. Two legitimate families. The fence is um, a little bit, a foot on one guy's side. And they're fighting over, taking the fence down, suing, doing this, doing that. So I said, gas pipe, I mean, we got to just strain this thing out. Yeah, my guys, it's it's on his side. What the fuck is a foot? What does it mean? You got you got a major sit down. I'm an underboss. You're an underboss, and we're arguing about a fucking fence. You know what we could do? Rip the fucking fence down, rebuild it. I'll pay half. You pay half, and there's no more argument. Are we gonna go? How long do we? We're gonna bring this now to bosses over a fucking fence, bro. But he was so petty, and then after he said, "All right, Sammy, all right, that makes sense," and. Uh, the people left the fence. I think we got the guy, his friend, we, we did something good for him. I forgot what it was. And and the guy with us, you know, I told him, we won. Don't worry about it. Leave your fence alone. You know, but don't, you know, argue over this stupid shit. A fence. So, so the mafia even did community service, I guess. Huh? <laughs> yes, we did. Yes, we did. Stupid shit like that. But we sat down with things like that, straightened them out. You know, Sammy, Sammy, Larry Lapper says, who is the toughest, most vicious guy to come out of your neighborhood, Bensonhurst? Scarpa, Gaspipe, Frank DeChico, or who, anyone else? Who would you say? Frank DeChico. I would say Frank DeChico. And here's why. Not only was he tough physically, tough with a gun, tough with his mouth, he was an underdog type of guy. He helped more fucking people 
that were being abused by people. Scarpa was a fucking animal. Not in the same bracket as, you know, when you go to a certain point, you cross that line, you become, to me, a serial killer. You, you're not in it. You, that's not a tough guy no more. That's a fucking lunatic. Frankie DeChico was far from that. I was there one day. There was an argument and two, three guys, and they were talking about some guy. And the three guys were made guys. And he said, are you guys kidding? We grew up. We did the same shit as this guy, bro. Now you're going to gang up on the guy? We'll talk to the guy, and, and it's, it's not going to happen. I'll talk to the guy. But I'm telling you another thing that's going to happen. Nobody's going to fuck with him. That, to me, is a man's man. He was for the underdog. He did the right thing. He helped his more, many more people than he hurt. And uh, so I, I would say Frankie was probably one of the toughest guys in that, in that neighborhood. And fair. So it's not just how tough you are. It's what you are as a human being. I could gravitate towards a tough guy, whether he's Tommy Day and he's a cop and he goes to fucking boxing rings, or whether he's Frankie DeChico. It's not how tough you are. If you're a fucking animal, that's not a tough guy to me. You know, Marky Wohoo says, Sammy is like E.F. Hutton. When he speaks, we all listen. The Johnny, <laughs> the Johnny Keys story was so intense, I was standing literally frozen by the end. That story's probably that that that's that's an amazing very story. intense, right, Tom? Yeah, yeah. Was that was that the commission hit? Yeah, that yeah. was the commission. Yes. Three and a half hours story. And I, I say, you know, this guy. What what did you learn out of that hit? He taught me this. He taught me how to die, how to be a man. He really did. It's so fucking weird that. I literally, the time I was in a van with this guy, until it was time to go, I had such respect. I fell in love with the guy. He, To me, he became the epitome of our life. When I saw Paul the next day, I said, "We, I killed him. I did what I had to do. But he was the epitome of our life. He should have been the boss, this guy. I don't feel right. I feel dirty for what I did last night. And Paul looked at me and said, Sammy, you have balls to tell me something like that. Don't change. Be you. Stay like that. But that story, I can't even tell it half the times when I'm talking about it with a straight face. I mean, he just left such an impression on me. Here's a guy people telling me, oh, well, he died with his shoes off. Here's a 70-year-old fucking man telling me to take his shoes off. Why? Because I, my wife knew I was in the street. She knew there was a mob war going on. And I would co comfort her by telling her, I'll die with my shoes off. Don't worry about it. Now he tells me he's sending her a message. A short time before he knows he's going to die. Who the fuck would do that? You know, Sammy, when I was hearing that story, you know, when I, I mean, it was, you were like in the van with him for like 13 hours and you're talking. It was almost like the history of Cosa Nostra. But I kept thinking of like, here's a guy that is, he knows he's going to get whacked. He knows he's going to get two in the back of his head. 
and he's sort of like negotiating with you. He, and I remember one of the things he said, he goes, Sammy, you got to promise me that the guy who kills me is a made guy. Right. And I was just like, you know, at that point, I'd be so shitting in my pants. I wouldn't give a shit who was going to kill me. I was going to think about how I was going to run once I got out of that van, you know? Look at look at when he tells me about, I got pills in my pocket. Give me a pill. What's right. that? He says, they're nitroglycerin pills. I don't want to die of a heart attack. He's tied up with his wrists and his legs with a hit team. and a, I mean... What do you give a fuck how you're going to die? Maybe it's easier to die with that. When I went through a toll booth, I'm going to gag him. He said, you don't have to. This isn't about cops. This isn't about anything. This is about Goza Nostra. This is about us. He didn't even try to fight back. He, he accepted his destiny. He accepted it at that point, I he guess. He lived up to the life and accepted his destiny exactly right. And and if if you don't respect a guy like that, 100%. I don't know what's wrong with you. I mean, and me, that's how I felt. I mean, I respected him till today. I hope when I told that story, I hope children, grandchildren or somebody say, that was my grandfather. That was my father. He was a fucking man. I hope that they have some peace that uh, to hear the story, how tough, how strong he was. He wasn't a good guy now. He had 50 hits under his belt. That was his reputation, 50. He was a super hit guy. Listen, he tells me to my face, what five families couldn't do and the Philadelphia mob you did it. And and we, he was told I was a jerk-off and just a messenger. He looked at me and smiled and said, a jerk-off, a messenger. What five families couldn't do, plus the Philadelphia mob, you do it. You have me sitting in this fucking van. And he was smart, cunning, treacherous. And it, 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 I amazed him to the point where it was, it was like we're talking now. We had, he had, we had a respect for one another talking. It's, it doesn't even sound real, but you can't make this up. I mean, I and it, it killed me. It broke my heart. It broke my fuck. The last you thing know, I wanted to do was kill him. You know, Sammy, when we spoke to, uh, we had uh, Joe Pistone, who you know, uh, the AKA Donnie Brasco on the show, right? And he he spoke about how he was so close with Sonny Black. And uh, when the shit went down and they realized that Joe Pistone was actually Donnie Brasco or Donnie Brasco was actually Joe Pistone, Sonny Black did something similar. He just turned himself in knowing he was going to get whacked. And yep. that's what you would say. That's called Zanostra. He also, yep. spent, he also remember um, Sonny Black, I think it was his girlfriend that Joe Pistone said, called the FBI and said, I want to talk to Donnie Brasco. And they flew it to Washington. And Sonny Black, I mean, that, that's another real story when you really think about it. He told, he said the message because he knew he was going to die and told the girl to tell Joe Pistone, I don't, I, you didn't force me to do nothing. I love you. I loved you. I still do. I respect you. Don't feel bad. You only did your job. And when they shot him, 
he went down a flight of stairs and he just looked up at them and said, make the next one count. So it's a very almost similar, it's not, wasn't as a long period of time as you spent with Johnny Keys, but the same type of guy, you know? Listen, that happened with Joe Colombo during the, the war and uh, they snatched him and they let him go. They didn't kill him. They let him go because of the way he acted while he was snatched. And the gallows, Larry Gallo, said, let him go. He gave him a shit, let him go because of the way he acted. He said, don't abuse me, don't do nothing. I'm not a punk. Put the gun to my head and kill me. And it impressed Larry Gallo to the point he let him go. There are guys in the life like that. And, uh, you know, the life is full of good, good fucking people. I know it sounds strange, but good people with good thoughts, good, they, they were loyal. You know what I say I am, or we are, some of us? We're warriors in a life, like the samurai. The samurai have this secret organization. You know what they were in Japan, and they were brutal. They chop each other's heads off, arms off, or things. When they lose a battle, they stick a fucking knife in their belly and kill themselves to, to die with honor. Their people in our life did the same thing. And, um, you know, you could make an argument, these are bad people and this, that, and the other thing. And we are in a certain way. And there's a lot of us that are not good. But some, some people have so much honor that it, it supersedes what they even did. So, and I, and I think that's in every form of life. I mean, you'll see cops do some weird fucking things running into them. Look what happened on 9-11. Cops running in and firemen running into the fucking buildings over and over and over again till the fucking thing fell on them and killed them. So when people want to defund cops or talk all this fucking nonsense, I mean, look at those people, what they did. Look at them. And I say people, I'm not talking cops, whether it's cops, firemen, those are people. And what they did was heroic. And and how people could want to, i tell you one thing, if I'm having a fucking heart attack, don't get me a social worker, get me a cop so I can call the fucking ambulance. I could survive maybe. That's that when you'd be calling for a flat foot, right, Sam? Well, <laughs> you know, listen, if my daughter or granddaughter was getting raped or bothered, who the fuck would I want there? But Listen, those names... Go ahead, Tom. Go ahead. Go ahead. No, you know, it's... it's. I mean, you think of the life that Sammy came from, you know, in the streets. And I'm very close, as, I, as close as I am to Sammy, as close as I am to the two agents that Sammy spent a lot of time with. And it wasn't just about, you know, debriefing things. It was, you know, they developed a very strong relationship over the years and care about each other very much. And they have nothing but great things to say about their experiences with Sammy, not just about work-wise, but just, you know, it, like he, they would talk about, you know, even playing chess with him. They, could, they couldn't beat him in chess. Just It's just funny how 
you could get people from, you know, when would Sammy ever think that he would actually sit down and break bread with two agents that really care about them? Right. And you have two agents that, you know, one was a Marine, one was a school teacher, became the FBI agents. They were partners for 22 years. They're two of the sweetest guys in the world and think the world of Sammy. And that, that's a, that, there's a real bond. Let, let me give them a shout out. Let me give them a shout out. We're talking about Special Agent Maddie Tricorco and Special Agent Frank Spiro. They were in C-16, the Gambino squad, and they were with Sammy for what? A couple of years, right, Sam? Oh, yeah, yeah. Listen, they were even longer because when I was on the street, they were assigned to me. They were always around me. They were always courteous. They were always doing their job. Like I said, they got a job to follow me, to put me away if I break the law. And But they were never disrespectful to me, my family, or anything. Matter of fact, one day it was right close to Christmas. And I come in from somewhere. I come in my office. My secretary says, that uh, Frank and Maddie are outside. They're sitting in a car, snowing. Really, right now, right before Christmas Eve? Yeah. I Get me a cardboard box. I got a cardboard box. I got coffee, cannolis, cakes, every fucking thing. And I brought it to the car, and I banged on the fucking window. So he's, what do you want? I says, here, take this box. What's that? It's coffee. It's espresso. It's cannolis in there. There's everything in it. Oh, we can't take that. That's a... It's not a fucking bribe. Take this fucking coffee so you can even freeze it in there. <laughs> Christmas. So that. You know, when I got pinched and they, these guys put me in their car, they turned around. I hope they don't get mad at me saying this. They no, took me in their car. They said, Sammy, you got money on you or anything? I said, yeah. I got a couple thousand, four, five thousand. Why? He said, They're gonna, you're going to get locked up. You're never going to see that money. If you want... Give me the money, give me your jewelry, and I'll give it to Deb. De talking Deb like that was her sister. It's my wife. Wife. Called the Deb. So I said, well, you know, I'm thinking, who, who if anybody's going to rob it, it might as well be that. So I give him the fucking money. I give him the jewelry. The next fucking day, it was in my house, given to my wife. There were so there were such gentlemen, such manly people, and then I spent time. When they would come on a detail when I was in Quantico, they would come in. Uh, I think it was Frank's wife. Would major, eat, dinner, major pasta. She used to make me pasta. So <laughs> I would eat the pasta. I think six months ago, I called his house and his wife answered. So I said, Listen, you're still, that's your, you're still his wife, right? Yeah, yeah, it's me, Sammy. Yeah, yeah, good. I says, Listen, thank you so much. Uh, the pasta was fucking great. She said that. That's 20 fucking something years ago. <laughs> That's <laughs> no, mutual Sammy. respect, Sam. Mutual respect. And yes. and I think when I worked with Tommy in the 6-8 squad, he had that type of respect with certain guys, specifically Billy Cotulo, Wild Bill. And I learned yes. something from that, that, you know, we don't have to be so adversarial. If you approach it as like a business transaction, so to speak, I know it's a little crazy. I'm going to put handcuffs on you and put you in jail. But if guys gave me respect, I always gave it back. And that could be the scale from the projects or that could be an organized crime captain, boss, whatever. So, and I think that, listen, like you said, we're just doing our job. You were doing your thing. And if you got caught up in it, it was part of the game. Right. And some people actually try to help you. They didn't want you to go away for 50,000 years. I mean, they got to know you. They got to understand you. 
if you were a guy like a Roy DeMeo, I can understand these cops must have had a hard on for him. He's, he's just a, a lunatic. Same thing with gas pipe. <coughs> but, uh, <clears throat> yeah, you respect one another. Listen, I still have a relationship with Frank and Maddie. I send word to them all the time. I called them on occasion. Same thing with George Gabriel. He was the head of the C-16 squad. He was the case agent in the Gotti case. I still have a relationship with him. I still talk with him. You know? And, no, uh, Sammy, what do you people, think of people the would judge? Find, Go ahead. I'm go ahead. sorry, Bill. No, I would say people would find that sort of like they maybe can't understand that. But we as cops. You don't and, know Yeah, no, I mean, we understand it because it's a long-term relationship and you're on different sides of the fence, but there is a mutual respect there. Yeah, absolutely. Listen, like I said, I mean, I, you know, whether you're black, white, Hispanic, Asian, whether you're a man or a woman, I love people for what they are. I don't give a shit if you were a cop, an agent, a gangster. If you're a good person, I could like you. A lot. And I could, you know, I, I, it comes from my heart. I don't just have to try to act like a tough guy. Oh, you're a cop. Fuck you. That's not me. Maybe I'm a different kind of gangster. I don't do that. that was a if you're a good person, I care about you. Period. You know, and that's, what, that's the way I look at it. And I've had people, listen, when I got pinched with um, a cold case killing a cop with, uh, what the fuck was the name? The 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 Ice Man. The Ice Man. Total. Yeah, yeah. Which was total, total fucking bullshit. You know, I mean, I had so many agents, prosecutors, and everything because they know I didn't do it. Were trying to help me with the case. They came out of the woodwork. I didn't ask them to come out. They came out, and uh, a lot of people, not only cops, regular cops, agents, prosecutors, and everything. That out. was proven to not be true. Oh, absolutely. Listen, the guy confessed to killing Roy DeMeo. So the agents went to him. Oh, you killed Roy DeMeo? Yeah. Well, why'd you put that thing on top of his body in the trunk? He couldn't answer. <laughs> he didn't even know what it was. Mm. It was a shade in the lid. It came out later. I guess he didn't know at that time. And he says I, he didn't do it. That's why the police. That's why the police keeps things secret so that they can challenge people with it. Right, right. right. Anybody got challenged, he fell apart. You know, it it was all bullshit. So, you know, Sammy, we're. we're, I'm just we're we're up on an hour, and I know he doesn't want to go over an hour, and I don't blame him. Uh, Okay, we discussed this, so I'll give everyone the last words, and then you know we're gonna have to say goodbye. I just want to say, Sammy, thank you so much for coming on the show. I mean, your stories are fascinating, and you know we we get a little shit too about oh you guys are entertaining a gangster you know this is what we did in our real life as police we spoke we spoke to people on the other side of the fence you know and maybe people would think this is a little different yeah it is a little different but i'm not apologizing to anybody i did 27 years in the NYPD an exemplary career Phil Grimaldi the same Tommy Dade's the same we don't have to apologize to anybody i Philly, know since i'm 15 <laughs> <laughs> Philly, last words. Yes, last words. Sammy, I grew up in Gravesend, Brooklyn. I saw you growing up. I knew who you were. I knew a lot of different gangsters. I went right because of family members and different things, but I watch your podcast. I see a lot of the things 
that you said, and I still have relatives in Brooklyn and I'm in Brooklyn sometimes once or twice a week and people will talk and they'll say, ah, Sammy's full of shit and stuff like that. But I got to say a lot of the stories that you tell from my knowledge of growing up about organized crime and all the different things that went on, a lot of them make sense to me. And that's what I answer when they say, oh, he's full of shit. He's just talking. He's, I know that you have a lot of listeners on your podcast. For, for me, a lot of the stories make a lot of sense. I just want to thank you for coming on. I know you haven't did many interviews in the past and we really appreciate you coming on. And again, to, to echo what Bill said, we're not condoning criminal behavior. Uh, we're just doing a, a podcast and we're doing, we're getting information from you and it's a conversation. And if there's a positive message, you, you said you, you asked God how many times I almost got it. If there's a positive message that you could send out, maybe young guys looking at, organized crime guys today, which it's obviously not the same life, but is there something you would say to guys, uh, young guys, maybe uh, enamored by the life that want to get into it real quick? I would tell you, go fuck yourself. <laughs> I would tell them, perfect, perfect. Tell them this. You want to be me? I got shot twice. I got 22 years in fucking prison. Um, I almost lost my life a bunch of times other than getting shot. You want to shoot your best friend? Then God bless. Go do it. I'm not going to be your priest. Go do it. But you're going to do what I did. A lot of fucking time. A lot of your life you're going to spend in prison. You're going to shoot your friend. They're going to shoot you. Hope you I hope you live through it. So that's my advice to you. <laughs> Sounds like a lot of heartache. Like a counselor with them. Do what, you, do what you want, but you're going to regret it in the long run. There's legitimate things out there, and you can make money legitimate, have a great life, have a great wife, have children, grandchildren. Enjoy your fucking freedom. And if you think you're a real tough guy, when you go to prison, you're going to meet a lot of tough guys. And they're going to tell you when to wake up, when to eat, when to lay down, when to go to sleep. So if you want that type of life, God bless you. Go, go for it. <laughs> Tommy, you're up, Tommy. Thank you so much, Sammy. I really appreciate you coming on. It was, it was great to have you on the show. And you're always interesting to talk to. It was, it was fascinating. And uh, Jimmy Calandra, I know you're in the chat. Well, uh, Jimmy Calandra is going to be on the show on uh, Sunday the 26th, actually at 6 p.m. We're doing an early bird show for you folks that uh, you can't stay up late. But, uh, Sammy, before we say goodbye, would you give me, okay, bro, that was good. Give me a bro or give me a, what, yeah. okay, Adios, motherfuckers. Adios. Bros, all of these bros. You, I, I, like, I enjoyed the show. Jimmy's my friend. I hope uh, he does great on the show as well. I know he will. He's a good guy, stand-up guy. And so are you guys. He couldn't be in better company. Thank you. Motherfuckers. Good night, Sammy. Thank you so much. Take care. Good night. Stay safe, everybody. Bye bye.